We're in the book of Hebrews, uh, still studying uh, the order of Melchizedek, the priestly order. It was the priestly order before the Levitical order. And if you know anything about Bible, uh, when you see priests in the Old Testament and priestly law of sacrifices of sheep and goats and lambs and bulls and blood and birds and grain and oil, that these sacrifices were chiefly done by the Levites, a tribe within the children of Israel that was responsible for worship services, right? Mm -hmm. um, but before them, um, it was by God's divine sovereignty that he always had somebody serving him and serving people to help them get to him, all right? Now, before Moses and the Levites, which is many, 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 many generations from Adam, um, there was a, a priestly order called the Melchizedekian priests, all right? Abraham gave tithes to this Melchizedekian priest, all right, of bread and wine, all right? So when Christ came, according to the New Testament, Christ came after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so that's in the book of Hebrews. Just trying to make sure everybody's not confused. All right, just real, real simple review. All right, Amen. so Christ came to fulfill the priestly, the high priest, after the order, not of Levites, but after the order of the Melchizedekian priests. Okay, the Levite priests were only responsible for sacrifice. Christ became the sacrifice and then also is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek and the priestly order of Melchizedek. There was one high priest and he was both high priest, king and prophet. So when the New Testament shows up, it comes there to us and tells us that Christ is the new Melchizedekian priest. He will occupy the priesthood, the prophet and the king saying that he is the coming Messiah, which is what the king means, okay? So he fulfills all three of those. Over the course of Israel, becoming God's chosen people, that priesthood was divided into three areas. Then you had David or King Solomon, King David. Then you had prophets like Jeremiah and Samuel, right? And then, and then you had uh, 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 priests, which are the Levites. So over the course of Israel, one office that uh, was held by a one chief priest, high priest, was then divided into three different offices. Mm -hmm. Make sense? And it maintained that for a very long time. And when Christ comes up, then he says, listen, I'm doing away with all of this. And in fact, the whole temple was destroyed and has not been rebuilt since. Amen. Signifying that all of this three separate roles everybody gets to have, it's all going to be in me. By me, for me, through me. That's it. Amen. Make sense? Amen. Okay. So that catches us all up, right? Amen. On the basics. Reminding us of the basics. So the book of Hebrews is, does a wonderful teaching if you pay close attention about the Melchizedekian priesthood. And this is important to us as believers because if we're supposed to live a certain way, how are we supposed to live? Well, it's best that we live according to the Melchizedekian priest, Right? which is Christ, and it goes over that. Since we don't have to sacrifice sheep, and we don't have to sacrifice wheat, what are we supposed to be doing? Yeah. We're supposed to sacrifice something. <laughs> We're supposed to be priests to help serve God and serve people to help people get to God. That's what priests did. They served God, and they helped people come to God. We're supposed to do stuff. 
And we don't really know what we're supposed to do. And most of the time it boils down to we could just sin and say I'm sorry, and that's pretty much the whole shebang. And that's not true. But modern Christianity has really trickled down this idea of all we're supposed to do is sing a couple of songs, make a mistake, say we're sorry, and start the whole process all over again. But the true teaching of what a priest is, which is our theme for this entire year, has been understanding uh, the Melchizedekian priesthood, becoming the priests that we're supposed to be. Because if you look at the book of Revelations, I don't think those Christians that barely made it are running it. Those that just slip by, I don't think they're really running stuff, right? And as we looked at on last week, when it comes to running this Christian race by faith, there are rules. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells us in Hebrews, and then he goes and tells Timothy in the book of Timothy, listen, Timothy, you need to make sure when you run in this race that you obey by the rules lest you finish the race and are disqualified. And a lot of Christians are running their Christian race breaking rules, And many will cry out, Lord, 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 and he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You what? Workers of iniquity, not sin, but you allow something that produces sin to remain in your heart and mind. The sin is forgiven and washed, but the promise is that the saints of God can also have iniquity removed from them. That was the promise. The things that cause us to sin the things that cause us to disobey. The promise was that we get to be the saints, the new saints. The Old Testament saints didn't have that. They, didn't, they just had to live well, how they live and fare how they fare. Oh, I killed a man. I'm going to sacrifice the sheep, but ultimately I'm going to remain the type of person that kills a man. Amen. I slept with this woman. I was, that wasn't my wife. I'm going to sacrifice this goat and this lamb to ask God to forgive me, but ultimately I'm going to stay the type of person that does this. And so Hebrews comes and tells us, as we discussed last week, the book of Hebrews says, no, no, no. What you get is what all the other clouds of people of all the Christians that have gone on to heaven before you, they cheer because they've never seen the ability for mankind to be able to change from the inward nature and no longer have to be the type of person that commits a sin. And they cheer like stadium seats cheering us on like a clown. Oh my God, look at them. We've never seen anything like that before. They're the goat. Oh, look at how they just dodged that and how they dodged this and how they're being persecuted for the faith and they're not even at the risk of death sinning. At the risk of death, they're not even disobeying. We've never seen the likes of this before. How their insides are changed. The book of Hebrews tells us, as we discussed on last week, that God wanted to make sure that he did not bless the saints of old before including us. Before including those that will believe because they heard the gospel being preached, not because they saw Christ himself. That those that could hear of the goodness of God, the nature and character of God, and see that in Christ as if they saw him crucified with their own eyes, they believe it so, that those are the ones that have what it takes to be changed from the inside out. Those are the ones that have what it takes for their nature to change. Those that could hear the goodness of a created God, of a creating God, and then say, you know what? That seems about right. Jesus, cross, word made flesh. Yeah, that that seems like it fits. Big bang, everything just happened by accident. Mm, That don't seem, they're taking more faith for me to believe that. This, this seems about right. 
those individuals are now postured to become the types of people whose nature can change. Amen? That's what Christ does. That was the whole shebang. Amen? All right, so let's get into this. Amen? So we're on a sticky chapter in chapter 12 of Hebrews. We are somewhere around chapter uh, verse 5. When you're there, say amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 12. We're somewhere around verse 5 in our study. Is that correct? Let me read verse 4. Let me read verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted, not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the love, for whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Amen. Okay, let's, 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 let's keep going. I'm going to read. I'm going to, let's keep. (laughs) Brace yourselves. Remember, Hebrews chapter 12 is, is all about correction, okay? It's a, it's a chapter that I have been wanting to hurry up and get through, like a child wanting to hurry up and get their spanking and get it over with. That's what this chapter feels like to me, amen? And it should to you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Let's beat me already and let's just let me be free, <laughs> all right? But we have to endure it, yes? So let's go to verse 7. If you endure chastening... God deals with you as sons. Uh-huh, I did. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you, want, if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. What a blessing. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Uh huh. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been what? Trained by it. Okay? Chastening does not indicate that you are just told what is right and what is wrong. Chastening indicates that you are so instructed that you are trained. Just so, so you, you might, maybe you want to be a little easy on yourself for why you can't seem to get stuff right. Because it takes you knowing what to do and then being trained to do it well. And you think, well, I should have done better because I knew it was wrong. And I should have done better because I knew. Yes, but this requires training. Yes? Okay, so um, let's back up to verse 6. Let's break this down a little bit. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. All right? nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord, the Lord loves, he chastens, and he does what? Scourges every son whom he receives. Let's talk about these words, these negative words, these painful words here. 
The difference is between, <laughs> you about to get scorched. <laughs> the difference between chastening, rebuking, and scourging. Chastening, rebuking, and scourging. All right, chastening. Chastening is the whole training and education of children. It's the whole training and education of children. It also includes the training and care of the body. So it's what you teach and how you teach children. It relates to the cultivation of mind and morals and employs this purpose now and commands admonitions, now reproof and punishment. So chastening says, I have to train you how to have a correct mindset, correct morals, how to care for your body, and this training includes reproof and correction and, and chastening. Well, and um, what does it say? Huh? Punishment. Okay? That's for children. And I hear someone say, but I am not a child. Then you said to yourself, maybe I am spiritually. <laughs> Whatever in adults also cultivates, so chastening in adults cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. So if you're an adult and you know basic morals, you know basic right and wrong, you know basically how to care for your body, right? Basics, right? Now when we're chastening adults, we're chastening them as it relates to enriching the soul. Training and correction that is needed because something about what is in your heart and mind is robbing you of the nutrients needed to grow seeds. That's what enriching means. So when we deal with adults, we're dealing with, we are cultivating your soul, dealing with the parts of you that need enriching. Like, I don't know, like the parable Christ gave where a seed was planted and the tree was growing, but it bore, it bore, it bore no fruit. And the, and the landowner said, let's chop it down. And the vine dresser said, just give it one more year. Let me fertilize it. Let me enrich it. Let me add some nutrients to the soil to get it to, to produce fruit. And when it comes to believers, some of us don't want to admit that we are not producing fruits of Christianity. And before God cuts you down because you're looking so sweet and every, you can convince everybody else that you're such a great Christian, he knows. He knows. You can be nice and you can be sweet and you can be forgiving to everybody else, but he knows what's really happening on the inside. What thoughts you have a hard time controlling and maintaining. What actions you have a hard time resisting. He understands it and sees it all. And he says, you need to be trained. Your soul needs to be enriched that it might produce the fruit of righteousness. Right? So, in essence, I see you struggling. I see, we, see, we see you struggling. It's all right. That's why we come to church. Hello? <laughs> you don't come to church because you got it together. You come because you don't got it together. And I'm trying to get it together. You come because this is hard. This is heavy. This is overwhelming. I am sad. I am depressed. I am in pain. I am hurting. And you come here and we say, here, let's help with this. Let's put some word on this. Let's start changing you from the inside. Hello, somebody. With basic words and action. Yes? 
There's three things I use in my arsenal to, to train and to change every disciple. One, I use the word of God. Two, I use basic reasoning. And three, I give you something to obey. Every time, whether it's demonic activity you have succumbed to, whether it's lustful activity, playful activity, careless activity, anytime you get stuck and you are not producing the fruit of Christianity, the fruit of the spirit, fruits of righteousness, there are three things, three tactics I use every single time to the entire congregation and to you individually. One, the word of God. Two, reasoning. And three, something to obey. You love the word. You like the reasoning because it makes sense to you. But that third one, that third one, how you going to tell me I'm grown? How you going to ask this of me? I'm an adult. How you? But this third one here will reveal whether the reasoning and the word have actually taken effect. Because don't you say, I know it's right, but I still did it. And don't you say, I know it makes sense, but I still can't get with it. Uh -huh, that means you can receive all of that truth and your reasoning and still not be able to produce. So that third one challenges whether you really actually are going to produce the first two. Or do you just keep it in as head knowledge? Ever learning, never really acquiring the power of God. Hello, somebody. It's that third one. Both old and young have a hard time with that third one. Hello? Obey. Hello, somebody. Um, Bill could be like, I, I, I change your diapers. <laughs> Pastor Sharon could be like, I change your diapers. Obey is that third right there. That's the hard one. Hello, somebody. How she going to tell me, Sister Hyatt? How Pastor going to tell me that I need to go obey? This this third one. It's this third one right here that trip you up. Because when we were kids, we understood that we were told to obey because we were children. But when we are not producing fruit of the spirit in our Christianity, we somehow don't think it's necessary to obey. What well, you have been raised on the entire system. When you are not producing things that edify life, your parents teach you to obey things that edify life. So when you are not producing life in the spirit, your pastor will teach you to do things that will cause you to edify and grow in life, life more abundantly. Try to make it plain. He set it up your whole life. Now all of a sudden you forget. You thought you were some type of different type of being. Well, I don't, I'm a different being now. <laughs> Hello? Chastening is the whole of training. All right? And for adults, it cultivates the soul by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. Because that's what gets an adult. See, I, I'm not going to get very far today. I could already tell. I'm not going to get very far in Hebrews today. That's what really gets you adults. It's the passions. I love him. I love her. I want to be successful. I want to have a good job. I want to stop being poor. I want to enjoy my life. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be a minister. I want to be a preacher. I want to, I want to, I want to, and I want it passionately. And here come your pastor, popping your red balloon, your whole joy, everything you wanted, everything you dreamed could be, how you thought you was about to level up, how you could see your life about to be better, how the lights came on, it's so much brighter, everything is good. And here I go, 
was motivated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, about that. Uh, we need to curb that passion. And it would feel as if somehow the, the woman or man of God, as being instructed by God himself, is trying to destroy you. <laughs> All I wanted to do was be happy. All I wanted to do was serve. All I wanted to do was give. All I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was be loved. All I wanted to do, squash. Why? Why would you do that? Because at the beginning, I could see your passion is causing you to disobey. Your passioning is now negating basic reason and basic word of God. Your passion is getting you to rise against authority. That goes against basic word of God. That's basic. That's just basic right there. Hello, somebody. So I, we can see how, you know, your passion. Well, technically, Pastor, it ain't a sin if me and him, yeah, but the better wisdom practice is this, that, and the other. Hello? It just makes sense that you don't go nowhere with him. You don't know this man right now. See, see that's, that basic reason right there, that basic reason, that number two basic reason. See, see, how, see how you just went against all of that basic reason? Uh-huh. And when you want to know why I stop you dating? Your passion is not controlled. Your passion has got you being unreasonable with somebody you don't even know because you met them on the Facebook as if that's a wealth of information. You riding in a car with somebody you don't even know. Going to the house of somebody, you, or better yet, have them knowing your address with your silly self. Now, Pastor, them put stuff in place where people that you barely know don't know where you live. But you decide that you're going to have people you barely know know your residence with your silly self, and when they turn up crazy, you don't know what to do. Well, they didn't look crazy. Your passions need to be curbed because that don't go with basic reasoning do crazy people always look crazy no basic reasoning basic reasoning see that see how see how see how you tell on you you tell on you and so when the pastor comes and say hey we need to have ourselves a chastening session here something to curb and cultivate your soul to curb your passions uh-uh you can't tell me because technically because technically because technically because technically so we tried the chastening the chastening was ineffective fear not there's more let's go to rebuke <laughs> Chastening says, this is not what you do. That's what chastening says. It's the training season that says, this is not how a Christian woman behaves. This is not how a Christian man lives. This is not, that's chastening. This is not what you do. And this is what you do. You do this, you go to church, you go to prayer, you sing songs, you clap your hands, you focus on God. This is what you do. Does that make sense? Chastening is the realm of answering what you do and what you don't do. Yes? Rebuke. Rebuke is defined as to convict, to refute and confute. By conviction, to bring to light 
and to expose. To reprehend or reprehend severely, to chide, to admonish, to reprove, to call to account, to show one his fault, and to demand an explanation. That's rebuke. Rebuke goes into the realm of not this is what you to do, this is what you're not supposed to do, but why did you do what you did? You knew better? Why? And have you ever done wrong and had to answer the question why and you knew that the why was insufficient? You knew as soon as you did wrong and you had to answer, why did you do this? As you began to come up with the answers, you could tell in yourself, this is, this is, this is insufficient for a reason. This is not a good enough reason for why I did what I did. But you asked me why did I do it, and now that I'm saying out loud, this sounds stupid. It sounds stupid. I did this wrong in order to, because of this, and when I put what I did wrong beside why I, why I did it, the what I did it wrong is greater than the reason as to why I did it. Anybody ever been there? If you've been there, can you say amen? Let me, let me see if you've ever been there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So rebuke is the part, it's beyond chastening. We're no longer instructing, okay? Hey, don't do it like that. Brush your teeth like this. Don't do like that. Do like this. This is what you need to do. We're not, we're past that. Rebuke says you knew and you know. And now I am exposing what you did wrong. People get rebuked. Huh? I'm going to expose what you did wrong. I'm going to say, hey, heard you were sleeping around. I, I come, I come, I, I, I know, I come. Because that's my job. A pastor's job is to chasten and to rebuke. That's what we do. To correct and to reprove. It's not just to love and to encourage. That's a part of it, but that's not the entire part. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's a whole other parts to it. Yeah? The other parts nobody likes. So I just come up and say, hey, I, I heard you were sinning. Hey, what's up with this? I heard you something, 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 something. And better yet, yeah, sometimes you guys say, I heard. I just feel. What's going on with you? Ain't nobody said nothing. You ain't told nobody nothing. I just show up and be like, I just feel on the inside. Something. What's going on with you? Nothing. I'm fine. Hmm. I remember I asked Sheena for like months at the top of the year. Sheena, you all right? Sheena, you all right? Because one time she got mad at me because she said, Pastor, I was going through and you didn't see me. I said, baby, I thought something was up, but I wasn't sure. I said, so this time when I feel it in my spirit, I'm going to flat out ask you. And she flat out lied. <laughs> For months. Sheena, you all right? She, I even walked up to her, touched her face. Sheena, you okay? I'm fine, Pastor. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> what? Everything fine. Baby going crazy. I'm like, you sure you all right? <laughs> something... Something seems like you're not all right. <laughs> I'm fine. This is part of the rebuke. You know that something ain't right. That you've done something. I know you all churchy, and I'm down in your face. Oh, can she see me? Yes. Imagine that I can see it all. Don't even shy back from my glaze. Just imagine that I can see it all. Because in some of your cases, I can not in everybody's, but it just might be you that I can see it all. Hello, some. Looking at everybody's eyeballs. All right. Everybody has successfully passed a rebuke. All right. Great, 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 great. 
Rebuke says, but why did you do what you did? Rebuke exposes your nature. Rebuke answers, why did you do it? You knew better. You were built better. Why? And when you have to answer this why, even though it's an insufficient answer, you recognize your real nature. I did it because I was mad. Ugh. I did it because I was discouraged. I did it because I was hurt. Now, these may seem reasonable excuses to you, but every Christian knows that if you do not have temperance, the ability to act well in spite of your emotions, through your emotions, then you do not have a fruit of the spirit. So while it may make sense that you did it because you were hurt and you did it because you were angry and you did it because you were discouraged, it is not good that you did it because you were angry, because you were hurt, because you were discouraged, because this reveals a lack of godly character. So you expect me to just be hurt and to act like I'm okay? Yes. I expect you to have some courage and some strength, some fortitude and some stamina. Hello, somebody. When I lost my mom, how much pain is this? Horrible pain. But we have to be godly with pain sometimes. We have to do godly things with the most unimaginable amount of pain that you could ever imagine, and you still have to try to find some level of godly character, some level of passion and compassion and love and forgiveness and day in and day out of serving with pain. So you're not going to win this, I did it because I was angry. I did it because I was discouraged. I remember I fell into sin in my adult life. As a leader, I wasn't a pastor, I was a, um, an elder. I fell into sexual sin, and what instigated it was something in my heart, but what was revealed is that when I was discouraged, I sinned. When something didn't go my way, I sinned. You may have your own thing when you're overly worried, when you don't have any money, when somebody breaks your heart, when a relationship doesn't go well, you might sin. Hello, somebody. But each of us have to figure out what that is. And don't worry, it will show up. And when it shows up, it reveals your weakness of character. Should I sin just because I'm discouraged? Or do I need to remain steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of God? It reveals a weakness of character that we don't want to admit. And we rather side with the world to say that it's justifiable but you've been called to greater, to a greater calling, to a greater standard, and have been supplied with the power of the Holy Ghost to do it. It doesn't have to be on your accord, amen? Come on and bless the name of the Lord. Rebuke answers, why did you do it? With the attempt of revealing your character, the weak area that you have, that he might make it whole, and we're going to look at that a little bit later. He says, strengthen uh, feeble hands and, and weak knees. He wants you to, look at this, y'all flim flam over here. Look at the flabby part of you. Just tighten that up. Get it tight, okay? You're weak, you're flim flam. Can't even lift this. Oh, you got a little discouraged? Sin. Oh, you got a little angry? Sin. Oh, you lost some money? Sin. Fix that with your weak self. That's what he's saying. 
And it's a strong rebuke. Why did you do it? Because it is. That's not a good enough reason. And you're trained to know that that's not a good enough what? When you used to lie to your parents, anybody ever get spankings? Anybody get beaten? When you lie to your parents, they say, why'd why'd you lie? And you say, because I was going to get a spanking. And then they say, but you're going to get a spanking anyway. See see how that don't even make no sense? In your your little kid brain, I'm going to lie to not get a spanking. But you're going to get a spanking anyway. Now you're getting a spanking for two things. And then even if the whole spanking culminates on one big spanking, now your parent can't trust you. One was just basic chastening. The other is a revealing of your character. One was just basic instruction as a child learning how to try to figure it out, trying to get through life, trying to understand how this stuff works, trying to go through. One was just basic chastening. Now the other is a revealing of your character. Now your mama can't trust you. Your daddy can't trust you. That's a terrible inward feeling that you cannot really put words on. Do you understand what I'm saying? I just feel bad because you don't trust me. And that is a quiet thing on the inside that has nothing to do with how it's displayed. It's a part of it, and it can be very problematic. Huh? It'd be extremely problematic. Because even when you want to do right, it don't do right. Huh? And you feel like, People don't trust me. One of the hardest jobs I have here is to trust people that have broken trust. The reason that's hard about it, not because I don't want to, is because I have to be careful with how much I let you have. Like if I give you a million dollars and you lose it all, I'm not going to give you another million. But I need to learn to trust you again, so I give you five. $5, $5, not, not five million, five ones, right? And let's see what you do with that. Now, when you know that you have gotten demoted with what you are able to handle, you are going to intrinsically feel some sort of way, huh? But that's all right, because that's part of the training. You're not supposed to feel good right now. You're supposed to feel, Pastor, I feel like everybody looking at me down bad. They might be. You'll be all right. What? Shouldn't you tell me something to get rid of that? No. (laughs) It's a part of it. It's a part of the punishment. It's this intrinsic feeling that you did not calculate when you sinned, because if you had calculated what you can't touch that happens on the inside, you probably wouldn't even have done it. If you really calculated the internal turmoil you would have in so many areas, you'd probably be like, you know what? I'm going to pass on that. I'm going to pass on that. You probably only calculated the external, how you can keep it a secret, how nobody will have to know. I literally have people tell me, Pastor, I was never planning on telling anyone. That's, all you, that's as far as your brain got. <laughs> how to mitigate the external, how to manage was outside. You did not calculate the kind of inner chaos that would have happened to your insides. You did not calculate the guilt, the shame, the uneasiness, the awkwardness in your relationship with God, the lifting in your prayers, the praise and worship, the not coming to church, then the going to church. You did not calculate all of that turmoil. 
Well, amen. Rebuke. I was hoping I might be. Now, when rebuke doesn't work, when rebuke doesn't work, and we've already asked, we already trained what you should and should not do. Then God reveals that you did it, and he tries to reveal to you your nature and your character of why you did it, to show you your weakness, to expose you. That's what he does. Rebuke exposes you. You feel exposed. <gasps> now people are going to think I'm a liar. Yes. Now people are going to think I'm a slut. Yes. Now people are going to think I'm a womanizer. Yes. These are all true. Okay. <laughs> you got to help people. They'll be like, no, they shouldn't think that. You're, they're human. Or, or, or people are going to think it. You think it. You feel it. And what's the most important is that you begin to feel and to see your true identity that you don't like. I don't like that I'm this way. Now that could work. And you can repent and turn and be rechastened and re-instructed and re-trained. But if that doesn't work, here comes the next word that he says he does. He scourges. Right off the top, to scourge means to whip. So scourging, rebuking says, why did you do it? In order to expose your real character. Chastening says, this is what you should do, right? Scourging says, this is why you shouldn't have done it. Scourging says, this is why you shouldn't have done it. We ain't even got to that part yet. All the other punishments you thought was the punishment. The, the, the chastening. Oh, you're chastening me. That's punishment. <laughs> no, baby. The rebuke. Oh, you expose me. Oh, oh, you, you. <laughs> that's punishment. No, baby. Scourging, it answers the question why you shouldn't have done it. Hello? You can't be changed by the chastening? You can't be changed by the rebuke? Give me that belt. Let me show you why you shouldn't have done it. Hello? In essence, to scourge means a calamity, a misfortune, especially sent by God to discipline or punish. Most of you haven't gotten to that part yet. He, where he literally sends stuff to show you why you should not have done it, why you should have stopped, why you should have let that go, why you should have shut your mouth, why you should have done this, why you shouldn't have done that, and now I'm going to give you the consequences as to why I told you yes and why I told you no. Scourging. Calamity, problems, especially sent by God to punish. Woo. Pastor, um, did that happen a lot? I don't know. I don't know how rebellious or stubborn you are. Maybe I do. But as your pastor, I try to avoid you from getting to this point. To the point where God has to send problems. I tell people, hey, you probably want to slow down here, all right? I had it happen to me. Listen, this thing can get real nasty. It can get nasty. It can get real nasty. You don't, you don't even want to know. Right now, you still at a rebuke stage. <laughs> Right now, you still at a chastening stage. 
But when God, you know, turns your life upside down, you know that that mistake directly correlates with this other huge. It's not even, I wonder if this is because it will always be directly. This, you did this, now you have HIV. It is, these are two things that are directly connected to one another. And he sends it. This is hard for people to recognize. Because they really have a New Testament Jesus without learning the basics of the Old Testament Father. So let's go there, amen? <laughs> this is hard for people to comprehend. Even mature saints hate when I say, God will send it. No, he won't. Mm. You have formed a New Testament Jesus in your mind without learning and understanding the Old Testament Father that was revealed. Remember, every Jew that wrote the New Testament and every disciple of Christ had a thorough understanding of Old Testament law and the God revealed in the Old Testament. It was part of the prerequisite to follow Christ, to understand the God of the Old Testament. But no, you want to come in, and even though we say you ain't got to obey by the laws of the Old Testament, you don't even want to get to know the fullness of who God is. Let's go to the Old Testament, shall we? Deuteronomy. While you're going back to Deuteronomy, I'm going to read something in Psalms 94.12. Make a note in your Bible. I'm going to do Psalms 24.12. We're going to be out of here in just a few minutes. I'm going to do Psalms 24, no, 94. 94.12. And then I'm going to take you all the way back to Deuteronomy, and we're going to skim through several chapters of Deuteronomy. But Psalms 94.12. Blessed the man whom you instruct, that word is chasten, O Lord, and teach out of your law that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. That's Psalms 94, 12. Blesses the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. In essence, the law was given and commands were given so that when rough times come, God can save you from the rough times and allow the rough times to be for the enemy. That's the whole plan. I'm going to instruct you, train you, chasten you, rebuke you, right? So that when rough times, bad times, famine, right? All these bad things happen, adversity. I can now save you from it because you kept my commands. Right? Versus you perish with them. You are punished with them. See, I'm trying to teach you the laws and commands and to chasten you so that we don't have to get to the scourging. That that will be a pit left for the enemy and you be removed from that demonic or satanic influence and not be judged or punished with them. Hello, somebody. But sometimes we can be stubborn, can't we? We could, we, could, we could not even know that Satan is disguising himself as an angel of light. And the only reason we don't know it is because we refuse to curb our passions. When you have the ability to curb your passions, to have temperance, to see clearly under extreme situations, then you can see that devil for who he really is. You can see the satanic, the satanic influence 
you can see how that little boy and that little girl and, and how they want you. It's just, it's just a Ouija board. It ain't really nothing. It's just this. It's just that. It's just a little kiss and it's just a little liquor. It's just a, you can see it for really what it is. You can't see it because your passions are what you want. It's so loud. Hello? So you're supposed to be instructed and trained by God and earthly leaders <laughs> to help learn control. Yes? Amen. So this idea of give you rest, right? Give you rest from your adversity. Give you rest from, from your pain. Did I tell you to go to Deuteronomy? Put a marker there and go back to Hebrews. I want to read the latter couple of verses for you. Then I'll take us back. All right. Hebrews 12 and 12. It says now, 11 says, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Anybody enjoying this? Not really. A little painful, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Some of us are better at this. You were raised in more disciplinary households or something happened on your insides where you're better at being trained. Um, others, not so much. Um, <laughs> it, it could be how you're made. It could be your life experiences that makes you very trainable. Others of us, not so much. Therefore, in verse 13, Hebrews of 12 says, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. He says, listen, what I need you to do, dear church, is I need you to strengthen your hands that fight. And I need you to strengthen your knees that run. And then the conversation switches so that what is lame won't be dislocated. The topic then shifts to other people. And I'm going to prove it to you in the next couple of verses. You have to strengthen your hands, and you have to strengthen these old wobbly knees, run the good race, and fight a good fight so that people that are truly injured won't be dislocated. Huh. The people that are actually wounded, that are actually hurting, you are just discouraged. You're discouraged. You're not suffering from trauma. Do you understand? You're mad that you can't have your way. You're not actually suffering from, from, from some type of traumatic experience. Hello, somebody. Y'all don't want to play fair today. You're spoiled. Come on, somebody. You're mad you couldn't get it your way. Hello, somebody. You know for a fact you're not dealing with the kind of stuff that other person is dealing with, but yet and still you are still very angry, very upset, and you're spiraling out of control. And then Paul comes and says, strengthen yourself before those that are lame are dislocated. You have a responsibility if you hadn't suffered any trauma. You have a responsibility to strengthen your hands, fight a good fight, get your knees, run a good race, so that people that are actually lame cannot move at all, are not cut off from the body of Christ, but brought in 
and healed. But when you, which will spoil yourself, can't strengthen your hands and stand up your knees, then you start letting other people who are really lame and broken not see that anybody's winning. Now nobody's winning. Now nobody's able to run. Now nobody's able to do it. And it's all because of you. So now those who are lame are actually just, just, just located. You were the one that God blessed to not have that type of childhood. To not have that type of injury. To not have to deal with that type of thing. Hello, somebody. So you, you, you were that blessed individual. And now look at how you looking. Now everybody got a different scale. Hello, somebody. Everybody got a different scale of what was bad. But I'm just be honest. My childhood and my mind was great. When I tell it to somebody else, they be like, your childhood was terrible. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. My childhood was absolutely great. Make sense? I told her to my stylist, she's like, oh, you poor baby, you was raised in the, you had to go in the, in the, you was in the projects? I was like, yeah, but we made it out. What you talking about? I was fine. My mom was fine, my daddy was fine, everybody was good. We ate good, family was around, it was great. Then, then, you know, did your parents do drugs? Yeah, but everybody did drugs in the 80s, so it was the big deal. I made it out fine. <laughs> I'm fine. I told my stylist, she's like, oh, you poor child. Oh, I'm like, well, anyway. Now, but we both could agree. The child that was hung by their parent, sexually abused by their parent, hello somebody. The child that was beaten to the point where they had to go to the hospital by their parent, hello somebody. Unconscious, hello. Now we all can say, now that, that's bad. What I need you to recognize is that these things happen to people and it wasn't you. They cannot get up on their own. You are currently standing just weakly. Just, you're weak. You know how I know? Because you're still here. I beat you up, you come in, oh, oh, help me, I'm wobbling. Uh-uh, ain't nobody helping you. Strengthen your hands, make straight your knees, stand up and fight a good fight, run a good race, because those that really can't walk need to see you run and go, now God, if you do it for them, do it for me. I mean, think about it in, in just basic reasoning. If you have a hard time getting over, you didn't get promoted, right? How you think Jewel gonna feel when she can't even get hired. Did, did, did you hear me? Huh? If you have a hard time getting over not getting the promotion, then the person that didn't even get the job is gonna look at you and go, doesn't matter for any of us. What's the point in all of this? You're supposed to be the one so that they're not dislocated, but healed and restored. Come on and clap and accept your responsibility. Come on and clap and accept your responsibility. Oh, yeah. Accept your responsibility. Isaiah 35, 3 and 4 says about that, strengthen weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. With recompense of God, he will come and save you. 
He's equating these feeble knees and these weak hands with people that have gotten fearful in their heart. He come cowardly, not courageous, punkish. He's like, you, a couple of things went wrong, and now you all, I don't know if anything will ever be right. A couple of things went wrong, now I don't know if I will ever get it right. Because something didn't go your way, uh, now I don't even understand what's the point of all of life. Is it those people? Hello? Oh, I'm in the house. And I hit all of you, didn't you? All of y'all was like, Poof. Is she talking to me directly? Yes. Directly to you. Amen? All right, Hebrews 12, verse 14. Are we there still? All right. He says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of, gra of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Stop right there. Woo! That's about as far we're going to go today in Hebrew, so to fret not, we're not going to go any further than that, and I think that's as far as we need to go. Hello? Amen. Uh, where do I want to start on this point? Matthew Henry, a great commentator, says this, and I think it's a beautiful, it's, it's well written. I couldn't have said it any better. A burden of affliction is apt to make the Christian's hands hang down and his knees grow feeble, to dispirit him and discourage him. But against this, he must strive that he may better run his spiritual race and course. In essence, affliction comes to your external life and you have to strive against that. Hello, somebody. Against these afflictions that are coming to your extra, your job, your love life, your house, your body, all of these things. You have to strive against those. He says primarily because when it starts attacking externally, we then begin to run a real spiritual race. Y'all don't want to play fair to me today. As long as you're able to handle things externally, you're never really fighting spiritually. As long as your job is within your range, you ain't fighting spiritually. As long as your health is something you can manage, you ain't fighting spiritually. But let God start tapping on that external stuff. Let your body start getting weak. Let the money start getting low. Let the job start disappearing. Let the lovers start leaving. All of a sudden, now you're positioned to fight a real spiritual war and run a real spiritual race y'all better say amen in this house and I came down this pulpit and grinding your face you better say amen if you got working legs stand up and give God glory what's wrong with y'all strengthen them feeble knees get up if you want to use them again you get them. <laughs> amen sit on down sit on down I'm not speaking that amen <laughs> The idea is that the affliction that comes to your life weakens the externalities of your life and thereby allowing you to really run a true spiritual race. Now, now the internal character of who you really are has to start kicking up. 
I'm preaching better. I know it hurts. Chastity don't feel good right now. <laughs> Hello. Like, uh, uh, I want to say amen, but uh, I feel some sort of way about what you're saying. Faith and patience enable believers to follow peace and holiness. Faith and patience enable believers to follow peace and holiness. If you have patience, then you can have holiness. Most of your unholy actions stem from a lack of what? Most of your unholy actions stem from a lack of what? Uh-huh. And similarly, most of your unpeaceable aspects of your life come from a lack of faith. When you don't have any peace, it's directly connected to where you are lacking faith. When you have unholiness in your life, it is directly connected to where you have no patience. No patience to wait in sex. No patience to wait for your money to save up. No patience to wait for your grades to build up. No patience to wait for trust to be reestablished. So you act in unholy manners. Hello? Mm-hmm. I'm preaching better y'all acting today. Well, technically, Matthew Henry on this part is. Peace with men of all sects and parties will be favorable to our pursuit of holiness. But peace and holiness go together. There cannot be right peace without holiness. Where, peace, where persons fail of having the true grace of God, corruption will prevail and break forth. Beware lest any unmortified lust in the heart, which seems to be dead, should spring up. Let me read it again. Where persons fail of having the true grace of God, corruption will prevail and break forth. Beware lest any unmortified lust in the heart, which seemed to be dead, should spring up to trouble and disturb the whole body. Hello? Mm-hmm. Persons fail where they are lacking the favor of God. The grace of God. And from that, when we see that God is not blessing us in this area, corruption can prevail and break forth. That's what it says. He says, beware, lest something that you never truly killed, that never really died, that just lays there. Hello, somebody. That thing begins to spring up. The plan that you always kept alive. Well, if that happens, I'll just. Well, if this goes, then I'll just. Then I'll just. Then I'll, then it's, it's fine, because I'll just. That thing, you never really let it die. You always kept it as your F plan. You understand? Some background plan that you said, if this don't work out, I'm going to access that. He says, and that thing is going to spring up on you. Hello? Falling away from Christ. Anybody ever fell away? Is the fruit of preferring the delights of the flesh to the blessings of God and the heavenly inheritance. Falling away, sinning. Is my mic on? Fell out of fellowship, falling away. I fell into sin as believers is the fruit, not the seed, not the root. It means you've always had running in you a preference, a preference 
of the flesh over the blessings of God. In essence, you always said, I mean, what good is God's favor if I can't have? What good is it to be a Christian if this doesn't work? What good is it that I try to serve God and do all the right stuff if this automatically means that you prefer the things of the flesh over the inheritance of God? I am coming for y'all today. Do y'all feel me? I mean, I, I am like sliced at the core. People that are vocal about it, and it's and you know people that ain't vocal about it. I still see you. It's come right. Shink, shink, shink. Huh? It was always there. That quiet temper tantrum that you always plan to have. That last act. And falling out that you always keep. Ah! Oh, I'm gonna kill myself, I'm gonna kill people, I'm gonna do something. Ah! And even like it's by God's grace, I didn't really go through it all of that. But you never really removed it. You thank God that you didn't go through it all, but you never really removed it as a tactic within your heart. Tell me I'm wrong. You left it there. And he says, be careful. That thing will spring up on you. It'll show up when you forgot all about it. When you forgot that you had this B plan. You left that B plan stay over there so long, you forgot where you hid it at. Hello, somebody. And then all of a sudden, things start happening in your life. Death start happening. Problems start happening. Money, st everything just starts falling. You know, it's in my Lord. Let's see what springs up. It's like everything's falling apart. It's like everything's going the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Let's see what springs up. Let's see what you've been hiding that you forgot. Them secret things you just let quietly stay in the background. The methods and modes that you have. Well, if I don't get my way, I could always. If I ain't got no money, I could always. If I don't like what they said, I can always, you know, you know, you know, you, you know, I, I, I'm, you, you know, you know, I ain't going to go there. You already know, huh? He says, <laughs> it agrees with the profane. Mm. Falling away from Christ is the fruit of preferring the delights of the flesh to the blessing of God and the heavenly inheritance, as Esau did. But sinners will not always have such mean thoughts of the divine blessing and inheritance as they now have. It agrees with the profane man's disposition to desire the blessing, yet to despise the means whereby the blessing is gained. But God will never sever the means from the blessing, nor join the blessing with the satisfying of men's lust. God's mercy and blessings were never sought carefully and not obtained. Whew. In essence, what he's saying here, he's saying that Esau move to sell your birthright for a pot of stew, to, to endure and to want and prefer the satisfaction of your flesh over the blessings and future inheritances of God. He says that mindset always agrees with a profane man's disposition, an unholy person's character, right? To desire the blessing yet despise the means whereby the blessing is gained. You want the blessing of being respected, 
but you don't want the means by which respect is gained. You want the blessings of being considered strong, but you don't want the pain and the struggles that come whereby the blessings of being strong are gained. Hello, somebody. You want the blessings of the kingdom, but you don't want to go through what is necessary to actually gain those blessings. You despise the suffering. You despise the pain. You despise the chastening. You despise the correction. You despise my tone. You despise everything about it. But he will never separate the blessings from the means that they are obtained. He ain't going to do it. He ain't going to do it. Nope. So you'll sell anything and everything just to get it. Hello? He says in Saul's case, I mean, not Saul, Esau's case, the scripture tells us in reaccounting in Hebrew, it reaccounts the story of Esau, how when Esau lost the blessing, he served his birthright for a pot of stew, then he was tricked out of his blessing, but still wasn't his in the first place because he sold his birthright, right? And the will of God was done. And then when he realized, I'm not even going to get the blessings as the firstborn, he cried. And he wanted change. And he wanted it back. And he wanted his blessing. The commentary comes and tells us, Matthew Henry says, God's mercy and blessings were never sought carefully and thus not obtained. You're crying but you, because you can't get your blessing. But in Esau's case, you never really sought the blessing carefully. You're doing a lot of crying right now. Hello, somebody. But you were not this adamant in the before now. Come on, somebody. You're crying that you messed up. You're crying that you got it wrong. You're crying that you didn't get it right. But you were not this diligent when you were trying to decide to do right or wrong. You weren't diligent about being patient. You weren't diligent about being humble. You weren't diligent about the long suffering. You were not this passionate in the midst of your problem as you are when you mess up. I don't see you diligently seeking obedience in the midst of turmoil. Yeah. I don't see you crying like I'm just trying to figure out the right thing to do. You just go with it and then be like, oh, that was so wrong. I don't know why. Isn't that right, Sister Gabrielle? Mm-hmm. I had to tell her one day, I said, Gabby, I said, you cried a lot always after you already messed up. But I don't see you shedding tears in the midst of the struggle because the struggle ain't instant. You're sitting in this problem for a minute. Come on, somebody. You're sitting in this valley of indecision for, for at least a second. Hello, somebody. You can feel that emotion bubbling up before the trigger is actually hit. Hello. You sat there for a long time, and I don't see you crying out before God. God, you know I don't want to mess up. God, you know I don't want to lose my temper. God, you know I want to be loving and kind. God, you know I don't want to overstep. God, you know I don't want to mess up. I don't see them tears then. I should have saw the same amount of passion then in trying to obtain his mercy. Huh? Woo-wee! Woo! Esau, Hebrews tells us, sought diligently with tears, but no place could be found for repentance. In essence, Esau was trained and chastened on what not to do in the value of his birthright and blessing bypass that when he sold his birthright i'm sure he was rebuked bypass that hello somebody now the scourging has happened the decision's been made and you're punished and now you want to cry there was a period of time in chastening 
to rebuke that you were able to do differently. Chastening and rebuke are the periods of time where you're able to repent more easily before judgment and punishment. Hello? Sometimes we don't recognize the frailty of our own soul. When you already are down bad, feeling down bad, you already feel like you missed the mark. Yes. And then God comes and chastens and rebukes you. And you feel even worse. Hello, somebody. You don't know in that moment if that's enough to make you after he punishes you. Because punishment can still lead to correction. It's not over after the punishment. The punishment could turn you back around, right? I spanked you. I ain't going to ever do that again. I received the punishment, and I, I, I don't want to do that, huh? But you don't know if you're that type of person. Once you've already felt beat down, once you've already felt that God was displeased, and then he punishes you, Hello, somebody. You don't really know if you're the type of person that will still want to change after you felt that scourging. Or are you going to become more indignant than that? Hello, oh, y'all don't want to play fair. Because some of y'all got spankings from your parents and still said, next time I'm going to just be smart about it, but I'm going to do that thing again. Uh-huh, I'm going to show you. And you got more indignant after your spanking. Some of y'all, hello, hello. Some of y'all got even more rebellious after your spanking. Everybody ain't made the same. Some of us got spanked was like, mm -mm, I ain't not doing that again. That hurt. Others was like, hmm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. See what I'm saying? You play with God with that personality. You go ahead and play with him like that. You don't even know if after he don't, you don't went through all this pain, all this turmoil, all this heartache, all these things that jacked up your life, and then he punishes you for something with the hopes that you might return, but your stubborn nature won't let you return. That's why some of your hard-headed folk need to stay put. Stay put. Because you don't know what you're what you, what you about to mess up. Hello? All right, now go to Deuteronomy, then we can go home. Go to 29 first, and I'm going to back you up. I'm going to hit a lot of verses real quick so we can go home. I got five minutes. All right? But remember how I opened up and I said, some of us have fallen in love with the New Testament Jesus, but did have no understanding of the Old Testament Father? And in order to fully accept the blessings of this New Testament Jesus, the, the, the no laws and, and, and you can, there's no more law and you can just live freely. You first have to have a very good working understanding and acceptance of the Old Testament father. Quit talking to me about how we ain't got to obey the law. No, you don't. But obeying the law should already be built in you. I should have to be convincing you with your New Testament self to be obedient to the law. Hello? I don't have to convince my church to tithe. That's basic. Hello? They go far and above 10% on a consistent basis. I don't force them. They just be like, you know what? This is right. You know what? I'm blessed. Let me bless the church. You know what? I'm blessed again. Let me bless the church again. You know what? I'm blessed. Let me bless my pastor. Poor pastor. She ain't even got no real job. Let me bless her too. You know what? I'm blessed. Let me bless. Even if I ain't that blessed, I'm a blessed because I want somebody else to be blessed. And they just do it. My church is one of the most generous givers. And it's, what, it's not because of the law. It's because the law was first established. First, they were trained that this is the least you could do. This is the, the basics you could do. 
And as they let that reveal their heart, when they struggled, how many people struggle giving 10%? People are like, what's wrong with me? I shouldn't be struggling with this. Your character and nature was revealed. Why am I struggling? Why am I, if and I'm, you know, paying, you know, paying the bills and not giving God money, I shouldn't be struggling with that. I didn't do that. God did that in you. You can count on your hands how many financial giving services I've had in eight years. Yeah, with less than five. That means less than one a year. I challenge your heart. Hello? Wait, wait, Deuteronomy 29? Let's look at verse 18 and 19. Then I'm going to back us up. So that there may not be among you man or woman, family or tribe, whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, that there may not be among you a root, what? Bearing what? Bitterness. We saw that earlier, huh? Or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. Oh, pastor, you is coming for blood today. Did you see this? I'm going to back you up to give you some better understanding of the context in which these verses are given. But ultimately, that last part, he says, I want you to talk to them about the curses. Lest anybody says in themselves that I will have peace and blesses his own heart and say, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart. And how many of you have felt like I'm going to do what's on my heart? The truth that's in me. Hello, somebody. And try to convince yourself that you're going to have peace. I'm going to have peace doing it my way. I'm going to have peace like this. Uh, this, this, this is, this is. And you just sit there and you try to come up and just take away everything pastor ever preached, everything she ever said, everything. I, I ain't got to have authority. I ain't got to obey authority. I ain't got to listen to her. I ain't got to listen to nobody. It's what's on my heart. It's what's in my heart. And you sit there and you try to have peace. And this scripture says, teach them about curses so that nobody will ever sit there and think that they can follow the dictates of their own heart and be okay. Look at how you esteem what was in your heart as if it was so wonderful. This, this is how I feel. This is what I believe. This is what I think. And you just put it on a big old throne like it was something that's supposed to be praised and followed. Follow your heart. That sounds real secular. Real worldly. I don't see no scripture say follow your heart. Follow your inner voice. Mm -mm. It, say it again. It said the heart is, it is exceedingly wicked. Huh? It, who shall know it? I, the Lord, try the heart and test the mind. You're like, you can't follow your heart. Your heart is wicked. Let me try to test it, and I'm going to show you, expose what your heart really is saying because it's not going to tell you the truth. Hello, somebody. And so God said the Old Testament father that people don't like to look at. Hello? Go on back. Let me, let me show you the old, the old Testament God that New Testament Christians want to jump right into New Testament Jesus without no understanding of the Old Testament God. That was chapter 29. Huh? Chapter 28. Just go to chapter 28. The header in most of your Bible should say, blessings on obedience. Does your Bible say something like that? 
That's one verse. Go on down to verse 13, a verse that we hear very commonly. And the Lord will make you the head and what? You shall be above only and not beneath. Now, this is the part people forget. I just want to highlight this. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. People breaking all kinds of commandments. Still running around quoting, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and never beneath. You done sinned, you done fornicated, you done lied, you done got angry, you done, I mean, you, that does not, you don't qualify. If we want to, if we want to quote New Old Testament blessings, then you also have to take the qualifications with them Old Testaments. Hello? Uh-huh. That was verse 13 in chapter 28. Skip on down to verse 20. The Lord will send on you cursings. Whoa, 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 stop. Did y'all see that? The Lord will send. I want, I want to, just, just for a second, if you, this, this is when having a real Bible comes in handy, all right? The blessings of obedience is verses 1 to 14, okay? The curses on disobedience is verses 15 through 68. You ain't even got to be a Bible scholar to recognize there's something he wants you to focus on and it's not the blessings. You ain't even got to be a theologian. There are 13 verses on the blessings of obedience. And from verses 14, 15 to 68, I can't even do the math. Somebody do the math. A lot of verses on the curses of disobedience. I think he wants you to understand he's not what you think. He's not just going to sit here and be your, your Santa Claus, your, your, your blessing machine. Hello? He wants you to know him as the one that sends curses. How do we know that? Because he got more verses on cursing than blessings. Blessings are in heaven. That's when it's, I mean, we could, we couldn't even, the book couldn't even contain what we're going to go to, but that's not where we are right now, is it? So he's giving you what you need for right now. What you need to understand right now is I am the God that curses things, but you're the God that blesses. Mm-hmm, I am. But what you need to really focus on right now is I'm the God that curses things. That's why Christ was considered Hosanna. Oh my God. Finally, finally the blessings. Oh, God, I was so nervous about the curses. Finally, the blessings. See, y'all didn't even live that nervousness. That's why I'll make you live it right now. Hello? <laughs> Hello? Go on back to 28. Uh-huh. Verse 15, the curses on disobedience. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commands and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these, somebody say all, all these curses will come upon you and over, and what? Overtake you. Verse 16, cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase in your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall be when you come in, and cursed you shall be when you go. We've always heard the first. We're blessed when we go in, we're blessed when we come out. Ain't nobody reading this, but it's more about this than it is about them other ones. Look at verse 20. The Lord will send on you cursings, confusion, and rebuke, 
in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. <gasps> you ever wonder, every time I try something, it seems like it don't work? Every time I try to go for something, it seems like it just smacked out of my hand? Every time I do something, it seems like it's more problems when I try to do it? There's something you've forsaken about God. Something, some priority that's out of order. Something that was supposed to be pre-established in your life that you found a workaround for. Hello? Because it's not his intention that your hands aren't fruitful. It's not his intention that you are consistently depressed, oppressed. Hello, somebody. Every time you start doing something good, your knees fall out. Your back give out. Something happens. You understand what I'm saying? It seems, it seems as soon as I start getting going on a good foot, the rug is pulled right from under me. That's not his intention. Evaluate your relationship with him and what have you forsaken. Because he's not a man that he should lie and God is not mocked. Hello, somebody. You don't know baby D like this. You don't know God like this. He said, don't play with me. You forsake me. You figure out a workaround for something I told you to obey and do. You justify. You don't know me well. You don't even. You, you. That's why I'm reading this to you. Because some of y'all is playing with God. He gave you instructions, called you to a church, called you to a this, called you to do that. And you, 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 you're going to finesse it around. And now things ain't working as smoothly as it should. Hello, somebody. Go to verse 22. I'm just going to skip around a little bit. The Lord will strike you with consumption. Can strike you with consumption. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sure speaking physically, like a, you know, like a, like a something like a flesh-eating virus kind of situation. But just apart from that, to be stricken with consumption in modern days means that you are constantly buying more than you could afford. You you keep consuming more than what you make. Hello, that's a real thing. You're supposed to be saving in your 401k. Some of you supposed to have a savings plan or something. An emergency fund. Some of y'all from your last budgeting class you're supposed to work on an emergency fund. You can't work on your emergency fund. Why? Because you keep spending. Look like you might be stricken with consumption. <laughs> that was a joke for today. <laughs> no one's laughing. Everybody's like, hey. Make a note in your journal. Come back to this point. Am I cursed with consumption? <laughs> With inflammation, hold your hand up if you're dealing with inflammations. Mm -hmm. With severe burning, fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew, they shall pursue you until you perish. He says the goal here is to get you out of here. The goal is to help get rid of you. See, you won't strengthen your hands to fight and you won't strengthen them feeble knees, and you're calling those who are, dis, who are the lame to be dislocated. So we need to hurry up and expedite your departure. You need to start getting so overwhelmed that you need to get out, because you're not no earthly good. You're not bringing people to Christ. You're not encouraging the saints. You're pulling them down with your weakness, your cowardliness, 
your lack of courage and vigilance in the things of God. You keep sinning and disobeying, thinking you've got great excuses, but they're all weak. And you don't want to be strengthened. You don't want to be trained. You don't want to be chastened. You don't want to be rebuked. Don't expose me. I feel, I feel humiliated. Somebody that wants to say, expose me. If you think that'll help, tell everybody. And I say, I don't think that'll help right now. Huh? I don't think that's what we need right now. But, but people are willing when they want change. Do whatever it takes, oh God. Do whatever it takes. Not if you bring one more painful thing to my life, if you let one more painful thing happen, then I just don't know if I could serve you. Lies and spies. All you're doing is having a big old pity party. And all he's going to do is present curses. Why? Because you need to get out of here. You're messing up the reputation of the church. You need to go. Y'all don't know this God, do you? You, you don't recognize this, this is him. Same one. But in order to receive Christ correctly in your hearts, you had to have known him. Hello? Uh-huh. Go to verse 28. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. This stuff inwardly. You're confused in your heart. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do all right, I ain't going to do that. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I ain't going to do that. Maybe I should do it. Maybe I ain't going to do it. And this is what, and, and blind as a bat. Can't see stuff right in front of you. That's really the problem. Hello? Does he say this Does he say this would just happen to you? He says he will do what? He will do this to you. I just want you to recognize the curses of disobedience. Hello? You disobey him, he has consequences and repercussions. This is, this is who he really is. Now, Christ does some great things down the road, but you need to know what he values, and it's obedience. Christ died in obedience to the Father. He values obedience. That's why there's so many verses on the curses regarding disobedience. And you are playing with a disobedient heart like a ticking time bomb. Got a bomb of disobedience playing it around like it's a soccer ball. What you doing? Come, that, 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 that little disobedient, don't you think? Stop, stop. Mm -mm. Mm -mm, you don't want to play with that. You need to get, what you do when you see a bomb? Run away! Flee the devil. <laughs> Hello? Anyway, go on to the next verse I highlighted. Verse 36. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you will serve other gods, wood and stone. Stop right there. Idolatry is the next thing because you decided what was best for you over what God said, so then he sends more problems, and then that makes you choose a false god. Let me do it again. Idolatry is the next course of action because you decided to sin against God. That was one thing, to get something you wanted, right? He sends problems. You get upset with the problem, so you try to find another God. Let me do it again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use something real simple like relationships. 
That works. It's really easy. Whether it's love relationships, work relationships, church relationships, family relationships, all the same. You decide to sin in a relationship. Break a vow, a covenant, right? The Lord then sends problems within that relationship. Hello? You don't like the problems that is now happening. And it's not just a relationship. He sends a ton of problems to your life. Internal problems, confusion in the heart and mind, external problems. There's just no, just no holes bar on this thing, okay? Internal, external, you're in a storm, all right? You get so mad that you gravitate towards the same thing that took you under. You're mad at God. So you start, go searching to how this relationship, now he can become your God. Now she could become your God. How do I know you did this? Because when you knew what was right, you didn't want to do it. You knew God told you to stop, and you didn't want to stop. This means that you have elevated that thing as God. Pastor, it was just, it was just a date. Mm-hmm. Pastor, it was just, it was just, it was just, I don't care what you named it. When you recognize that in order to have it, you had to be disobedient, and you were disobedient, that is now your God. Because that's whom you obeyed. In order to get that, you had to do it that way. Right? Because God wouldn't let you have love apart from that yet. Say amen. amen. Say amen. amen. Am I talking to you? Yes. I'm talking to you. Amen. Hello? Does that help? Do you need some more examples besides that one? No. Okay. <laughs> Danielle said, mm mm. No, we do not, Pastor. We don't need no more examples. But what I like to highlight theologically is that somehow we think serving of other gods leads us to sin. What the Bible is showing is that sin leads us to serve other gods. Hello? The Lord will bring you and your king to another nation, and in that nation you will serve their gods. Your disobedience led you to that. Huh? You can't stay in God's house? You gonna disobey God and say you think you stay in God's house? Hello? Ask some people in this church. I physically manifest that for them. You gonna disobey me in my church and think you gonna stay in my church? Baby, find another church. This is a choice. You choose to submit. I choose to lead you. You don't wanna submit? Find a church that you can submit to. I think that's, that's a wonderful, it flows for everybody, right? Amen. All right, here we go. Where was I? Uh-huh. Verse what? I was at verse 36. Go to verse 44. He roared the wood something. Verse 44. He shall lead you. He shall lend to you, uh, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. This is what we're talking about your enemy. Your aliens amongst you. You, they will lend to you. You ain't never got nothing to lend to nobody. He said, they shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Where this verse at? Where the verse when everybody be like, I'm the head and not the tail. Where the verse say that somebody else could also be the head and not the tail when you are disobedient. Where is this at, modern Christians? Hello? Moreover, verse 45, 
All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed. There's a lot of this going on because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. He said very clearly, I told you to do something. You didn't do it. And this is what I do. Y'all know him? Did y'all know this one? Because there's a lot of verses that his is the one he wanted you to know first before you start going to this Jesus part. Just know this one. Know him in this way. Yes? The same God, but just know him the way he revealed himself here. Verse 48. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Look, the he here is capitalized. So you're going to serve the devil in need of everything. And ain't that how it is in some of these relationships? These unholy bonds that you be doing, these unholy covenants you be making. Hello, somebody. You be going over here trying this new thing, this new thing over here. And all of a sudden, you was always in need. You need money. You need encouragement. You need healing. You need prayer for this, prayer for that, prayer. You're always in need of something that can't nobody satisfy. He says, I'm going to leave you there. I'm going to put a yoke around your neck until the day you die. This God say he's going to do to you. Us, I'll join you in that. This is what we're supposed to first know about him. To make the receiving of Christ more joyful. Hello? Woo! I ain't even done. Verse 56. You see all these verses we skipping, you think I'm reading a lot. Go back and read all the verses we skipping. The curses on disobedience. Y'all tired, ain't you? Tired of hearing it? I don't care. I'm reading these verses of disobedience because you hardly ever see them. You only know the, the verses on blessings. Straighten up your, your faces. Sit up. Straighten them hands. Get them knees looking strong. Okay? Here you go. Verse 56. <laughs> the tender and the delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and her sensitivity will, read you, will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter. Her placenta, which comes out from between her feet and her children, whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you at your gates. Anybody understand what that's saying? It's saying this beautiful wife you thought you had. Oh, you had to get her because she was so pretty. Oh, she was just, oh, it was just so lovely. She said, uh-huh, she was so pretty and she had to be so, uh-huh, she's going to eat your baby. You gonna eat your children? And you be thinking, I would never. Oh, really, a holy parent. How many times have you let your child go uneased, unsatisfied, uncared for, even ever so slightly, as you nursed some problem that you had? Took care of some passion that you dealt with. Hello? I, look, I ain't got no kids, so you know I can't judge you. I'm just here to call out the obvious. Hello, somebody. I have seen, but never from anybody in this house, women that have brought men into the homes at the danger of their own children, and you want to frown upon somebody else that is starving. Was you starving for the SEX that bad? I'm not calling, no, I'm not looking at nobody in here. Needed the money that bad? 
You need to have somebody in the home that bad? But it didn't matter what happened to your kids. Hello? Say amen. The idea that you would do this in desperation is something he sent to you because of your disobedience. Because when you start obeying God, you look and go, what was I thinking? That was terrible. Pastor, my baby's going to be all right. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. What was I thinking? It's nothing we can do about that. That was then. We got to move on. The Lord's going to be, he's going to bless you and your kids. And we start walking in blessings. But we need to recognize where these curses come. I know I treaded on a very sensitive area, but it needed to be stated. Amen? Amen. 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 Woo! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for helping me help you. Verse 63. <laughs> and it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to nothing, and you shall be plucked from the land which you go to possess. He said, I'm going to be just as excited as I was to bless you. I'm going to be just as excited as I am to destroy you. Just as excited as I was to get you to that holy place, that the cross on over, I'm going to take you right from it and be just as happy. He said he's going to be just as happy. In your mind, you think he's going to be kind of sad. Like, oh, he's going to be sad to have to do this to me. He's like, no, I ain't. I'm going to be equally as happy. What? I thought you loved me. Mm -hmm. I thought you loved me. I thought you loved, I thought you loved me. I'm not the one that was disobedient. I'm not the one that was unfaithful. Your actions reveal that you don't love me. If you love the Lord, then his commandments are not what? Burdensome. You displayed you did not love him. And so just like when you was in a relationship and somebody revealed that they did not love you, give me my keys, give me my car, give me back my, give me all my stuff. Happily, don't you do it? You're like, oh, I hate to have to ask you for my keys to my car back. Oh, I hate to have to ask you, but oh, give me all my stuff. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Get it from such and such. That's who you was with. Mm -hmm. Happily, don't you do it joyfully? Get all your stuff back happily. That's exactly what he's going to do. Give me my stuff back, my anointing. Give me that back. My blessings, give me all that back. I thought you loved me. It ain't about my love to you. This was about your love and how you showed it to me. Oh, I'm, I'm preaching. Y'all so beat up, you can barely talk. I'm almost done. I promise. I'm like, yo. Some of y'all never read Deuteronomy 28. Verse 66. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. This speaks to a real part of us, doesn't it? Go back to when you knew something in your relationship with God wasn't right. How your life hung in doubt. Am I supposed to be this? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? See, now all of a sudden it's all confusing because of disobedience. When you were obeying God, you weren't confused. Hello, somebody. You weren't afraid in the daytime. Oh, you never know what's going to happen. I got to drive on these highways at, in the daytime. You weren't afraid at night. Ooh, there's lightning outside. I might get struck down. You was never afraid. Verse 68. And the Lord, it's more. I told y'all, y'all make you live it because you ain't really seen this. And the Lord will take you back to where? 
oh, excuse me? Who, he delivered you from Egypt? And he said, oh, you want to disobey me? I'm going to take your tail back to Egypt. Tell me, when have you read this? When has it crossed your mind that he could, parents share, say, I, I did. I was fully aware. <laughs> See, I've been trying to tell y'all, loose Christians all this time. I was fully aware. <laughs> he said, I'm going to take you back to Egypt in ships by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. This, can we just pause here for a second? Because people be like, but the Lord promised me this. When he delivered me, he promised me this. And then he comes and said, because when he delivered him, he said, I, you will never have to come back this way again. That's what he told him when he delivered him. When they were disobedient, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take you back there the same way I told you I wasn't going to take you. I'm going to take you there. People don't know that God does this. As a result of what we do. When he says, I will never, he's saying that as his promise. Then you have your own choices that then forces his hands to do something differently. Hello, somebody. You chose to disobey? Guess where you going? Back to Egypt. Huh. Huh. That's a movie, huh? huh. You're going to send me back to, to the slavery? I'm going to send you back to the slavery. Who? What? I thought you said you weren't ever going to. That wasn't the plan. But you decided to love somebody else. So give me all my stuff back. Give me my keys. Give me my house. Give me my deliverance. Give it all back. That's what you do when you divorce someone, isn't it? Isn't it? Your disobedience was an act of divorce. A breaking of a vow. It's not trivial. Not in his eyes. It became trivial because you fell in love with the Jesus of the New Testament without understanding the heart of the God revealed in the old. Hello? Come on and bless the name of the Lord. So then we get to chapter 29. And there's more stuff that's not good. He starts saying how he wants to renew a covenant with them, but in the renewing of the covenant, it still curses. That's where we got our verse in 19. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he can bless himself in his heart and say, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my own heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. This is verse 19. This is where we started when we came back to Deuteronomy, isn't it? He's saying, I'm going to show you all these curses, and I'm going to put them on you, deliver them to you, so that nobody will have to wonder. When somebody says, I'm going to do what's best in my heart, everyone will see that that's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Well, what should I do? Three things. One, what the word tells you. Two, basic reasoning. And three, when somebody gives you something to obey. Pretty much it. Did you get clearance from that? Who cleared you? Who told it was fine? How does it line up with basic reasoning and basic Bible structure? Hello? He says, that way, because you can't, you can't confuse the drunk with the sober. It's a distinct difference. There's a difference between the obedient and the disobedient. You can't mix them up. It's pretty obvious. Yes? It's a lot of verses, isn't it? Verse 29 still continues. The secret things. Verse 28, uprooted them and their land in anger. Hello? And then finally, we get to chapter 30. 
Most, most Bibles, chapter 30, has the heading of the blessings of returning to God. Woo! Woo! Okay. So there was blessings. There was blessings for obedience. Then there was curses for disobedience. And then there's a blessings for coming back to him. Okay. 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 I thought I was just going to leave me out there. Verse 1 of chapter 30. Now it shall come to pass when all these things have come upon you, the blessings and the what? And the curse which I have set before you. And you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord God, your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I commanded you today. You and your children with all your heart and with all your soul that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. In your disobedience and in your obedience, I'm going to send blessings. In your disobedience, I'm going to send curses. I'm going to send these curses to the point that I send you back to captivity and drag you down. He says, but you have to call to mind. Y'all don't want to play fair today. You have to have that place of repentance. You have to start letting that rebuke work. You have to remember how you were trained, how you were raised in God, how you were taught, how you were discipled. You have to remember those things. Call them to mind in the place of your bondage. Call them to mind in the place of your depression. Call them to mind in the place of your discouragement. Call them to mind in the place of your oppression. Call Call him to mind in the place of your grief. Call him to mind in the place of your lust. Call him to mind in that place and the Lord will deliver you. Standing all over the house. Hallelujah. Call him to mind in that place and the Lord will deliver you. Call him to mind in the pain. Call them to mind. What am I calling? I'm calling to mind the blessings you gave me when I was obedient. I'm calling to mind the curses that you brought to me when I was disobedient. I'm calling to mind the idea this was always a part of your plan. That I might have this opportunity and turn to you. And now I never want to leave again. <laughs> 